There are two scripture passages this morning. The first is from Ephesians 5, 21 to 33, which you can find on page 1780. The second is from Galatians 5, which you can find on page 1773, if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And then over to Galatians 5. 13 to 18. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Thank you, Sharon. Good morning. My name's Mike, part of the team here. Nick is in India, so please pray for him. He's uh, be teaching pastors for the next few weeks. So, good morning. It's good to be here instead of someplace else. Estelle and I went to a movie yesterday, and by the time the trailers or previews were done, you know, I was exhausted. <laughs> Everything is just so intense. You know, and it's like, what happened just a story? And it was thinking about, you know, we've started this series, The Art of Normal. It's hard to find normal in our culture because everything has got to be supersized. Everything has got to be ramped up. And, and so Nick talked about work last week because sometimes it feels like it's hard to find that place that glorifies God when you're stapling papers or, you know, creating a budget or just doing the normal things of life. And yet that's what God calls us to do. It says that's where we're supposed to find pleasure. And I lost this screen here. If I can get it, it would be great. 
one of the things Nick said last week out of Ecclesiastes 3. Thank you. There is nothing better for humans to do than to be happy, to do good, and to take satisfaction in all of his toil. In just the everyday monotony of doing life, somewhere in that, God finds pleasure when we do it unto him. This is the gift of God. So we live out all of the ordinary parts of life in light of the extraordinary God who created everything. We're going to talk about marriage today. And my daily decisions to live out God's ways in my marriage should bring daily satisfaction to me and worship to God. Now, key word in there, to live out God's ways. That's the trick. That's the portion that we get caught up on. And it's easy to get caught up in marriage because for most of us, our marriages are not public. Yeah, we have public portions of our marriage, like right now. We're sitting there with our arm around our spouse and everything looks good. And, and when we came in this morning, somebody said, how you doing? We said, fine. Giving no regard to the fact that we were mad at each other in the car 10 minutes ago. Or something happened and the harmony of the home wasn't there this morning or yesterday. Or, and those things are kind of hidden. And so they're easy to keep hidden. Because after all, who wants to walk in and somebody says, how are you doing? Lousy. I'm mad at my wife. No, that's not the politically correct way to enter church. And so we don't do that. We don't confess our sins one to another. We hide them at times. And marriages can be difficult because it was created in the context of beauty and peace and sinlessness in the garden before sin happened. And so God creates this relationship that he wants to illustrate his grace. He wants to illustrate his, all of his beauty and his character through. And then sin happens. And everybody's ushered out of the garden and now we try to do marriage outside of the context of God, and it doesn't work. I don't know how many couples I've sat across from, and they're like, this doesn't work. So I always ask my favorite first question, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. I'm not here to talk about Jesus, I'm here to talk about her. My office, my rules, my question. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. <laughs> Slam. Usually they come back. What's he got to do with it? Everything. When we look at normal, it's normal for us as Christians. We're not talking about the art of normal outside of the kingdom. We're talking about what's normal for you and me in today, specifically inside of marriage. Because, see, marriage doesn't work well outside 
of kingdom rule and reign. Because it was created inside of kingdom rule and reign. Before sin. And God said, this is really good. You're going to like this. And then sin happens and it's like, really? This is what you thought we would like? He goes, yeah. And so it brings pleasure and contentment to us when we live out God's ways inside of marriage. And that's where we want to focus on. Culture has this design on marriage that is supersized. She should be beautiful. Everything should be pleasant. You never see the chores being done, the nitty-gritty of the conversation, the family budget being done. That'd be a fun sitcom. No, it's, it's all the good stuff. It's the splendor. It's the sex. It's the romance. It's the adventure. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but you can't live in the glamour all the time. It just doesn't happen. You can't live on the mountaintop all the time. You live in the valley. You live in the normal. You live in the mundane. And alongside of that picture, we have God's daily reality. Now, one of the verses I had read this morning was this one out of Galatians 5.13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And Paul's writing to the Galatians, and he's saying, you guys have taken on freedom. In fact, you were called to freedom by God. He's called you into something different than what you had. It's called freedom. Because over here, you were enslaved to culture. You were enslaved to doing things the way that culture specified. They determined what made you happy. They set your expectations. I've called you out of that and into true freedom where you no longer are bound by their expectations, but rather you are now free not to indulge in their expectations. You are free not to exploit your neighbor. Because you are loved, you are now free to love. Because you are cared for, you are now free to care for. Because you have contentment in Christ, you are free not to seek it out of your spouse. So spouses, you no longer have the responsibility for making your spouse happy. It's off the table. Because that's not why we get married. We get married because marriage is the daily place that we come to where I can join with God in the process for that one that I love, that one that I have committed my life to, of coming alongside what God is doing in creating them for his glory. I get to practice his grace on their behalf. I get to practice his redemption on their behalf. I'm not there to take and to be satisfied. Now, the wonderful thing about Christian love, God's love, is that it's reciprocal. So Ephesians 5 says, and Sharon read, that when a man loves his wife, it's like loving his own body because as we give freely, it comes back because love is reciprocal. It, it has this exchange factor in it. 
But what happens when he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed? What do you do? And this is really where Christian marriage is different than non-Christian marriage. This is where our normalcy of living out God's ways on Wednesday at 6 a.m. come into play. I have a choice to make right then as soon as I realize, oops, I can either tread lightly I can lie and say, oh, I forgot I've got to have the kids at school at 6.30 and get out of there. Or I can say, okay, God, here we go. What would you like me to do? What would you like me to say to move towards what you want to do in this moment? How can I extend grace right now them how can I recognize that in the normalcy of my marriage in God's provision in God's character and his ways I can access that and do something different than run the world would say just get out of there if he's not bringing you happiness you don't have to put up with that it's your right to be happy. God says it's about redemption. It's about grace. It's about extending to them what God extends to you. Now, that's difficult. That's not comfortable. It's hard. Because sometimes I want to fight back. But God says, no, you don't need to. You can extend grace into this situation. That's when I find out about the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my own life. Are they thinking about how God wants to use them? No. When we lead with emotion, we react. We don't respond. I just want to win. I just want to convince you that you're wrong. I want to get out of here with all of my expectations intact. Don't really care about yours. That's selfishness. That's not freedom. That's being dictated to by somebody else. And my emotions are my emotions. They're not yours to deal with. I'm not going to let you make me mad. That's my decision. And my decision as a Christian inside of God's normal is to say, what do you need and how can I extend what you need to you? How can I be gracious? How can I at times take it for the team? Recognizing that you're in a tough spot. It wasn't fair what happened at work yesterday. Those things happen. But also recognizing that I have been called to freedom to something completely different than the norm of this world. 
there's a book I'd like to suggest if and I really don't encourage new Christians to read this because it's it's down the road just a little ways but it's called what did you expect by dr. Paul Tripp and the premise of the book is he married a sinner what did you expect but then the rest of the book is about extending grace because that's what God did in marriage. He understood the, that there was gonna be the fall. He understood sin. He understood that we were gonna need him. And so he created and extended grace from himself to us. When we come to Christ, we would like to think we're coming to perfection. And in his eyes we are because he sees us through Jesus because we are now in Christ. But we have this other big word in Christianity called sanctification, which simply means I'm becoming that perfection. And when Christ comes back to take his church, then we'll realize that perfection. But until then, I'm learning to become who he's called and created me to be. That also applies for your spouse. And so I'm free to extend to them what God is doing. But it really means I have to be in sync with where God is in my own life. If I'm not secure in the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life, I can't extend what he gives to me. And so our daily walk with Jesus becomes incredibly important in the normalcy of life. Because what's normal for a Christian is entirely based upon who Jesus is. It's based upon his action, his activity. And it's important for each of us to recognize that we are in Christ, we are in process, we don't always get it right, but we have the opportunity by him and by his spirit to do it his way. I love it when they pronounce a couple, man and wife, and they're like, we're married. I always think, yeah, come back in 10 years and tell me that. Then you'll understand what marriage is. They don't have a clue at T minus one. But they're married. They're just as married as they will be in 10 years. But in 10 years, they'll have a much greater understanding of what it means to be married. And it's the same way with us as Christians. We come to Christ and we're Christian. We're saved, we're redeemed. But then we learn to walk it out. So this may be a very difficult concept if you're a brand new Christian to wrap your hands around because it's like, I haven't learned to do that yet. Well, ask, he'll give you plenty of opportunity. You can practice and you can learn to be gracious towards each other. But for some of you who have been sitting in the pew for years, you need to be practicing this. And just because something is not public doesn't mean it's not to be dealt with appropriately as God's called us to do it. We are called into that relationship to be shaped and shapers for God's glory. Sometimes people have said, you know, well, the Bible doesn't talk that much about marriage. It's only in five or six chapters. You couldn't be more wrong. 
What's the first relationship that God created? It was marriage, the man and the woman. And into that story was his intent that they would live out his intent in such a way that we would understand redemption, we would understand grace. And it didn't quite go that way, but the intent was still there. And when we come to Christ, our marriages are supposed to be reflections of everything that the Bible talks about. And so the passage that was read in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in 21 through 33, sets up the premise, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Then it talks about that reciprocal relationship, just as we come to Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we have that relationship where we're discipled and we grow into him in all things. That's what marriage is supposed to be about. Marriage is this lab where we get to practice Christianity, real Christianity, 24-7. Because see, with my friends and my coworkers, I get to take a break from them. I get to say, see you tomorrow. See you next week. But to Estel, I don't get to say that. She doesn't get to say that to me because it's 24-7. In John, it says that Christian love can be tested. There's no greater testing ground to see what kind of Christian you are than the marriage because that's where we get to really prove who I am real time at the moment. And I can only do that inside of the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. But when I have that relationship with Jesus Christ, I am now free to extend it outward. Four things we need to be aware of. First, what does God want to do here? Second, am I willing to trust his desire? Third, am I willing to trust his ways? Fourth, am I willing to trust his outcomes? We're going to skip that. But 1 John is a great passage to go to when you talk about love. Because it says some crazy things. Some things that I'm not really fond of because they're pretty tough. Like it says, if you love God, you'll love others. If you don't love others, you don't love God. That's pretty black and white. I like to live a little bit more gray than that. Because I'm next to her all the time. I got to love her all the time in the way that God wants me to? It's kind of what it says. It says if you wonder, you can trust your conscience because God in you is trustable. And if you don't trust your conscience, then you should understand that that's conviction and you need to do it differently. That's 1 John 3, 19. And it has these wonderful things about love that put me into a tough spot. Because without Jesus, I can't do that. My personality just simply won't allow that. My nature, 
without Jesus will not allow that. But in Christ, I have a different opportunity. Now, marriage is daily because our relationship with God is daily. Lamentations, it says that his mercies are new every morning. I used up yesterday's mercies, and so now I've got today to deal with. Tomorrow's not here. So we pray a prayer that says, God, give us today what you would want us to have. I don't need more than that. But what do you want me to have? And sometimes what he's going to give me is because she needs it. Sometimes what he gives her is because I'm going to need it. And in the context of the week, in the context of the day, we get to give this wonderful gift of grace that God has given us to each other. That says, you know what, that was stupid, but I'm not going to hold you accountable for it. Because I know that wasn't your heart. And you get to talk to each other in different ways. You get to encourage each other, but you get to also admonish each other, and you get to hold each other accountable. So you get to say things like this to your spouse. You know what, I know your heart enough to not believe those words. So I'm going to give you another shot at it. You know what, that didn't come out right. Can I rephrase that? Because I do love you, and I love Jesus. And so, let's hit the erase button, and I'm going to restate it. Because I was ugly. I don't want to do ugly. And we get to actually be Christians one to another. We get to actually do what Paul said, to be kind one to another, to love one another, to be gracious to another, to forgive one another, to encourage one another. The whole Bible we get to do to each other because of this laboratory called marriage that we're in the midst of if we're Christians in marriage. Now, if you're not a married person today, this stuff still applies to you in your relationship because under, understand one thing. You're Christian first before you're married. There's no such thing as a Christian marriage. God didn't die for marriages. He died for people who might or might not be married. When two people come together, it should appear as a Christian marriage, but that depends on how we deal with it. That depends on what we bring to the table. And so God calls each of us to act this way in all our relationships, not just marriage. Today we're just highlighting because this is the relationship that's so critical that culture would love to annihilate and we like to hide because it shows our imperfections. Well, God sees those imperfections and he hasn't pulled out of the game and he encourages us to stay in the game and to participate as he's called and created us to do. We were visiting a church, and it was a great worship set, and I had my hands raised, and I was enjoying worship, and then my mind went left. And I dropped my hands, and I interrupted Estel's worship, and I said, when you see me with my hands raised in worship, what's it make you think? 
What do you feel? I'm probably thinking, you know, you're a man of God or something, like she should have said. <laughs> but instead she says, it makes me feel safe. Not on my radar screen. So I went back to worshiping. We get in the car and I said, what did you mean it makes you feel safe? She said, if your hands are raised to God in a public place, I know you're taking your cues from him, willing to humble yourself in front of everybody else and acknowledge his lordship. That makes me safe. It's when you don't do that, I start to worry. Because she knows me. She knows what Mike can be like without Jesus-centered. But when Jesus is centered in our lives, it makes our spouses safe. I always use three words in Ephesians 5, the end of the chapter there, it talks about a woman should, or a man should love his wife and a wife should respect her husband. Different words there because of different needs. That's the one thing I've got to talk to God about is why in the world he gave man an ego. It has done nothing but get me in trouble. And, but it says, wives, respect your husbands. The word love for the wife, I've always said, includes three of our words. It includes the word security, trust, and affection. Because without any one of those words, the wife does not hear the word love. If it's not secure, if trust is in broken, if there's not affection, what are you talking about? But in Christ, I am free as a man to extend that to her. She is free to extend respect to me without fear of it being lorded over her. Because I'm not going to use that position of authority or power in any other way than good for her. Because that's how Christ demonstrates it to me. I am free to be so, totally submitted to Jesus because his actions are only going to be in my best benefit. And so Paul starts out that portion, be submitted one to another, wives be submitted to your husband because it's a perfectly safe place to be in that context. Normal is where we see if Christ really is Lord. If you want to take a check on how you're doing in Jesus, do it Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. In the midst of whatever conversation you're in, who's being exhibited? Who's being lifted up? Are the people around you safe? Is your spouse safe? because what they should be getting is what God wants them to give. And he has given it to you and made it available to you, but you have to take responsibility and available, avail yourself to living that way. Marriage is intended to be the daily place where I join with God in the process of him shaping my spouse and me into the people that exhibit his character while illustrating his grace in his gospel of redemption. So if I understand my redemption in Christ, that I was a sinner 
and that he came and when I didn't deserve it, he rescued me. But not only rescued me, he extended to me every good thing that I would possibly need, empowered by the Holy Spirit in his presence in my life, to live this life that he calls his. If I understand that's what God has done for me, then I can look at my spouse and begin to extend it to them. I am free because of God's love for me to extend love and grace at any moment. Not concerned with what I'm going to give back. If my sufficiency is in Christ, and we sing that, you know, we quote the verse, Christ is my sufficiency. Christ is sufficient for everything. Is he? Then why do we demand something from our spouse that is not theirs to give? When we should be seeking our identity, we should be seeking our sufficiency, we should be seeking our wholeness from Jesus. I can partner in what God is doing in my spouse's life by making sure that the environment is allowing what God wants to do. So Ephesians 5, 23 says that, or 22 says that husbands love your wives in the same way that Christ loved the church, in the same way that he created the environment where she could be raised up spotless, wrinkle-free, presented to the Father, presented as a, as a pure, spotless bride. That's how I get to love my wife. How do I do that? In the same manner that I accepted it from Jesus. I accepted it, my salvation, my redemption, and now I get to extend it. I get to be gracious. I get to be loving. I get to be protective. I get to say, you know what? We claim to be Christ followers, so we shouldn't be doing it this way. We should be doing it this way. We get to say, I'm sorry, I didn't lead you well in that. And now I've got us in a mess. It's interesting in the garden, a lot of guys like to point out that it was Eve that sinned. But who does God go to? He goes to Adam. He says, hey, come here. Well, she did it. And we're so quick to drop blame instead of assume our rightful position where we protect and where we present as Christ loved the church that protective love to our spouses that says, you know what? This is normal in the kingdom. That other stuff the world wants to tell you is right, that's their normal. It's not our normal. A couple of questions that I think we should all be well-versed in. What would God want me to do or say right now so my spouse can be in the space where God would have them? Ask yourself that question or a form of that question next time you're in some kind of a spat. Next time she's not exactly doing what you think she should be doing. God, how do you want me to participate in this? Or how can I extend grace since they, my spouse, is in a place where they can't do it for themselves right now? Life happens. We get upset. We respond wrongly. We react. How can I step in and be gracious? 
How can I bring protection? How can I pray for? How can I use the word in such a way that it covers them and it speaks life to them? Those are things that should be on our lips as Christians all the time. One other thing. The forgiveness that allows us to move forward. Even though we have all the riches of heaven available to us, Ephesians 1, we still blow it. Estel's been, and God have been working on me for 38 years. I'm not quite there. Still got a ways to go. And she gets to, because God has forgiven her, she gets to say, Michael, you knucklehead, I forgive you. Let's take another run at it. Or I get to extend that. Why? Because that's God's way. It's not to condemn. It's not to call names. It's not to prove that somebody else can do it better. It's to say, you know what? I forgive you. Because Ephesians 5.28 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And that verse is in the context of a man and a wife who have become one. If I get mad at her, I'm hurting myself because she is my spouse. She is my bride. The same way, if you get mad at a brother and sister in Christ, you're hurting the Father because they belong to Him. Everything that we practice in our lives public are true at home. Truth is truth, and truth applies across the board. Time and place don't matter. It's all real time right now. Who I'm exhibiting Christ in my life should not be any different than it's to you or to her, regardless of time or place. And because I'm not perfect, God sets a caveat in that says there's forgiveness. There's grace. I can extend a condition that overrides justice because, buddy, this isn't what you deserve. But it's what you're going to get. Because I love you. I've chosen to step into a relationship with you not based on what you can give me, but based on a choice to love you in that wonderful little chemistry so that I can participate in what God is shaping you into be, what God is shaping me into be with you for his glory. It's not normal out there to live like this. It's Christian. It's not normal to extend grace if you don't have Jesus. It's not normal 
to forgive if you haven't been forgiven fully. But it is Christian to do those things. It is Christian to find out on Wednesday night that I can take everything I am in Christ and extend it. And it brings great safety and joy in the midst of complacency to be like Jesus all the time. Now, are we there? No, but we're growing. We're getting there. Encourage one another to be Christ-like. Give each other room to be God-honoring in your speech, in your behavior. Give permissions. You know what? Take another run at that. I don't think that came out quite like you wanted it to. Because if it did, you're in trouble. And love each other. Just love each other in Jesus as Jesus loves you. Worship team's going to come up. I want you to seriously consider if you're married or if you're anticipating marriage at some point. This concept, because it's just what the Bible teaches. Some of you need to have a conversation this afternoon with your spouse. Because it's so easy to not be Christian when nobody's looking. And we don't do it on purpose. But it should let you understand that you haven't fully taken in his lordship if you struggle in this area. Now, some of you need to have a conversation that just says, hi-fi, honey. We're doing great. Praise God. We're getting it down. We're getting it better. Jesus is our Lord. I like it. But some of you need to have the other conversation, and that's it. And guys, take the lead. Honey, if I'm anything less then where you think I should be in Christ in our relationship, will you let me know? Now, those sound like terrible words because you can just see the fight coming. But they're, they're not. Marriage is, is an amazing thing. I know they're standing up here, but I'm going to tell a quick story. I had finished a sermon on pornography, and... This businessman comes up after the sermon, and he's coming forward, but he's trying to look like he's not. And I saw him, and he caught my eye, so I went down to the side so he wouldn't be quite embarrassed as he was. And he said, I, I'm getting involved in pornography, and I know it's wrong, and I need help. Just about the time I saw his wife go across the back and I said, come here. And he just panicked. No, no. If she knows, she'll divorce me. She can't. And I said, just calm down. 
I knew his wife. I knew what kind of spirit she had, and it was just Jesus. He was too, but she really was. And she comes up, and I said, your husband has something to tell you. You'd have thought nuclear bomb went off. He just sweat popped. I understood Jesus in the garden at that moment. I mean, the sweat just popped on his forehead. He was wet. And he started a sentence. And he said, honey, I am so sorry. I've been, and that's all he got out. And she said, she put his, her arms around him, involved in pornography, I know the Holy Spirit showed me, and he hasn't said six weeks. He said it to me. She said, the Holy Spirit showed me six weeks ago that I need to be praying for you, especially for pornography. We can do this together. Redemption! <laughs> it was amazing. We worked on some things, and a few weeks later, they come in, and they're just arm in arm, and, and they were great, and he was free, because there were no secrets, and Jesus was the Lord, front and center. Grace and forgiveness was abounding, and it played out like God wanted it to play out. That is normal. In Christianity so be normal inside of the kingdom let Jesus be Lord and love each other let's stand